Hey guys, it's the Great Debates. Oh my oh. God, as I live and breathe. Wow. Can you believe it? This feels good. This feels right. Finally, something's going right. You said that in the tone of like a sarcastic thing, but do you really mean it? Well, I do mean it, but also, I mean, in the scale, if you made a big long list of things that are going wrong and things that are going right, it it wouldn't do much to adjust the balance. You know what? Let's not worry about, look, we're doing something good. Let's just jump into it. Did we come here? I don't want to waste any more time than we already have. I've got a micro top submitted by a listener, listener Natalie Tran, and I'm going to put about four minutes on the clock here. Okay, here's the top. Steve Healy taking the pro. You shouldn't need an alarm in the mornings. I'm Steve Healy, and I'm taking the pro. You will wake up. You are going to wake up. If you have something important to do, you're going to wake up after you've had enough sleep. What is life except for the movement of your body in a correct way through the world your body has a circadian rhythm it will naturally wake itself up when you've had enough sleep if you're setting a blaring noise to wake yourself up something is misfiring or misaligned in your life and your system and you need to change that now me i wake up because a cat comes into my room and demands breakfast at basically breakfast time it's not an alarm it's just a good natural way of waking up i probably would wake up anyway i know people that have kids the kids are going to wake them up people that are uh, a friend of mine is a really excited uh, about his trades he's doing on wall street he finds he just pops awake uh, when trading hours open in new york so he can be on his computer that's somebody who's in harmony with nature and rhythm if you're setting alarms Look at your life. You need to fix something because there's no way that a blaring noise cued to an arbitrary number on the clock is how you should be waking up to face the day. That's not good. I mean, look, for better or worse, our natural harmonies are not in sync with the basic means of commerce in this country and in this world. So the idea that like one should actually awake when they're simply well rested enough is not only like idealistic, but basically like I would argue that there's plenty of people who are doing meaningful things, who are contributing to society, not just in capitalistic ways, but in artistic ways, uh, ourselves included, Healy, you and I, um, who, I mean, I need an alarm clock to get up in the morning, and I don't think I'm doing anything particularly wrong. I happen to be a night owl. I happen to prefer to stay up late. And so I, I think, like, it's okay to be both you know, in my natural rhythm, which is to say I stay up later than most people and then also need an alarm clock just to make sure I get up for work in the morning. Let me pivot to a slight Lincoln Douglas style here, Dave. Why, what is it that you need the alarm for? What, What would happen if you just slept until you woke up? I'd be, I'd get fired. From what? From my job, yeah, my but jobs. Wouldn't you be able to do like ideally? Is isn't that a misalignment of your life and your system? That's not. This isn't how things should be. That you get fired from your job because you're a night owl and you didn't wake up at nine. That that stinks. You're obviously a productive, valuable member of any team you're going to be on. Well, if if you have to set happens, an alarm, then I, the team should be thinking, hey, how can we use Dave more effectively? What's a better use of Dave? I mean, your whole speech that we just heard was it was, you know, the classic like neoliberal accept it. A better world isn't possible. This is just the way things are. Deal with it. We live in a world where you got to wake up and go to meetings or you'll get fired. So you got to set alarms. That is so wrong, so misaligned, so maladjusted, so such a contortion of human nature and what the body needs physically, mentally, spiritually. 
that it's it sickens me and i would love to fix that i guess you just want to live with it but um i think you shouldn't need that yeah you're i think you're going for like a sort of weird ideal like you're trying to paint me into some sort of like capitalistic crony or something or like a neoliberal except i'm just seeing with, with, without the goggles of ideology what you really are which is programmed by the system that's imprisoned you in a world of al- blaring alarms and waking up at the wrong right. time I, and, but i understand that well so in theory you're trying to like make me look like i'm some sort of whatever not nearly as productive as i should be or like the harmonies of my creativity aren't in sync with the universe but the reality is that by having an alarm and by having an alarm and then actually like being able to work with other people i would say that by and large i get a lot more done i'm much more productive as a member of a team as a creative team on on what i think frankly are like have been very good tv shows than i have been like late at night when i sort of like am on my own and i believe it's much more difficult to do creative work on one's own so if you're going to argue the particulars of like my job or my productive output, I would say that like the alarm clock has been the single best thing to help me become a more productive, creative member of our society. That's and so like, like if I, that's you're yes. like, you're like the monkey in the zoo saying like the cage is exactly what I need. It keeps me uh, contained. It keeps me with the other monkeys. I'd be crazy out there in the wild. I, I hate hearing this. The well, timer has, has rung, but oh, I like oh. this debate. Oh, wow. Okay. It rang very quietly. Wow. Okay. And What'd it rang think? right around just before Healy made his last comment. So oh, it's, okay. it's out you there. Can strike, but, uh, I, I accept striking we those comments. I think that's fair. It. Yeah. And we asked the listener to not weigh the notion of me as a monkey in a cage from their <laughs> evaluation of this debate. <laughs> Please mentally strike any zoo imagery, p- images of Dave in a zoo, your memories of going to the zoo. Yeah. Forget all that. Yeah. Eliminate that before you put in your home ballot. It feels to me like the debate hinges on the word should. Mm. That's definitely How far do we want to go with should? <laughs> mm-hmm. And in the current climate, we're really stretching our our shoulds and our shouldn'ts. We're trying mm. to get out of a box that we've been in maybe for centuries in some cases. And so Healy, I feel like you're really um, with the spirit of the times by trying yeah. to play to, to that. Okay. Yeah. I feel that. But That's a good thing. there's also a competing tension out there, which is at what point are we abandoning useful and productive structures Mm -hmm. and i think dave very quietly and with a few words only was Mm -hmm. able to successfully make the case that perhaps some of these structures are useful Mm -hmm. and so therefore i'm going to award him the win wow Wow. i hate to lose the first one coming back on the other hand i do love that in a four minute micro about alarm clocks we zeroed in on sort of the key tension of our times, which is very... It's true. Yes. So in that sense, uh, everyone... Healy, I don't know how you felt, but man, it felt good to be debating again. It felt I good. Wow. It felt good. We <laughs> should tell like people, I... though, that like you and I, we it's, we're not... It's not unheard of for us to engage in debate-like conversations outside of the arena of great debates. It has happened. Oh, sure, sure. It's only natural that, like, you know, I mean, look, a great tennis player is still going to spar with his partner, you know, in a practice round. And we're into host chat, by the way. We're deep in host chat. Outside of a professional tournament, that sort of thing. 
Um, yeah. And, you know, sometimes, but, but usually they'll take the form of like text exchanges or like a more casual conversation. Yeah. It's been a and lot of so texting lately. You know, much like the alarm clock, it's in some ways nice to have uh, the structure of a, the debate itself so that you can really sort of mm. like have to hone your craft. Mm, yeah, the structure is good. Mm. Uh, outside of the mm. debate, I'll concede that. Okay, host chat, we got to get through a lot of business, unfortunately, because we've oh. been away for a long time. So I hate to uh. rush. I love a leisurely paced host chat, but we do have a few <laughs> business items. I had no idea. First of all is the Great Debates merch store. Okay, we oh. have a merchandise store and it's been so we annoying do. to us. And it, uh, I think it's basically been a money losing operation. Absolutely, yeah. certainly, definitely. Absolutely. I took been. over the, the, the business end of it after Dave. Well, look, we needed a new CEO in there, and I got. <laughs> and after your year of business, you were really the most. And qualified. I was, I'm pretty tight on business these days. I've been reading up on business, studying business. So I took over the merch store. It was a managed decline. Have you prepared our financial statements for the merch store? Uh, I haven't, but. Could I review a cash flow statement or. Uh... You know what? I'll get you that uh, at the next earnings call. But what I want to say to the you, listeners. Do you know what our DSOs are like? <laughs> so the, listen, what matters here, Dan, is our service to the consumer, uh, the mm. Great Debates merch store customer. And to them, I have mm -hmm. a very important message, which is we are going to shut down the Great Debates merch store. Uh, oh, my Effective God. September 1st. So wow, if you so want soon. Great Debates merch, you've got one month. Get over there. Get buy-in. We have two items for sale. The dentist <laughs> unisex t-shirt. It's a very attractive t-shirt with the Great Debates logo in blue and red. Uh, and we have a mug. The Great Debates mug 2 is the only one left. I don't know what happened to Great Debates mug 1. It was eliminated in one of our product uh, reduction uh efforts so get over to the great debates merch store buy 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 because after september 1st you won't be able to so to find our store you go to our website great debates uh 69 the number 69.com and you, there's a link there you'll be able to find it very easily buy as many t-shirts and mugs as you can get because these are going to be exclusive items that won't be available as soon as the merch store shuts down so buy now get them go okay Cool. Wow, great. Okay, first business item completed. What's next? Well, I had I found some notes I'd written about great debates uh, from back when we were recording a little more consistently, and one of the things mm. I wrote down was great debates pledge, but I don't mm. know what that you means or what our pledge was going to be, and I'm wondering if anybody can help me or has any ideas. If we were going to make Ooh. a pledge, what would the pledge be? Did we talk about this on the I don't know. I don't think so. I, it was probably just there's a listener out there that knows what the pledge is. I thought I remember that we you guys took a pledge. Did we take a pledge? If anyone it's knows what the pledge is, hit us up. I mean, the two things that come to mind would be that we uh, asked the listeners to take a pledge that was either A, like tell a friend about the Great Debates, or B, as like a listener of the Great Debates, I pledge to continuously engage in like honest and mm. rigorous debate mm. or something. Yeah, but I could be way off. That sounds good. Both of those sound good. Both also our listeners, we ask you to pledge to tell somebody about the Great Debates and also to pledge to continue to participate in honest and well, it doesn't have to be honest, but effective debate. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I can feel the old. tweets and the emails coming. I yeah. know it's someone. Yeah. We're going to get some conversation. Hey, we came here to debate, right? That's what I thought. We did. Okay. We did. What do we got? I got a main for you. Okay, great. 
I got a nice main. Okay. Main we're watching main. a lot of television. If you're like me, anyway, you're watching a lot of TV and movies these days. Okay. Sure. And something that occurred to Heels, who submitted this top, children should be allowed to act in movies or TV shows. Okay. I'm Steve Healy. I'm taking the pro. I composed this topic because I wanted Dave to dig deep on his negativity because there obviously a lot of harm has come to uh, actors and actresses who got a start as a child. When you hear the phrase child star, the word troubled often gets thrown in there too. However, I think that it's important that film TV, movies to continue as successful art that connects, bonds us, entertains families and individuals, needs to be in touch with reality. So we need to continue to have children play roles in TV and movies. And if you go back in time and think about it, as many troubled child stars as there are, there are also many uh, great actors and actresses who began as children who had wonderful, bright careers uh, in, in show business and outside of it. One thinks, of course, of Shirley Temple, who later served as uh, Ronald Reagan's ambassador to Switzerland, uh, probably the most famous example. But of course, you think about how many times children have entertained you in film and movies you'd hate to lose that you'd lose the wonder years you'd lose parent trap you'd lose all uh, sound of music these are all gone so uh while the topic is intended to be provocative and controversial i'm going to begin the debate by laying out the clear value of having children play roles in order to make tv and movies connect with us entertain us fulfill us in the way they so crucially do Okay, I, I mean, uh, your biggest mistake off the bat is using Shirley Temple as a specific, because even the the listener, without even having to do that much digging into their memory, knows that if you're going to talk about the reality of child actors, or like use anecdotal child actors as evidence of whether it's good or not for children to be actors, the overwhelming evidence points to the fact that it's damaging, that it's like basically equivalent to trauma to be a child actor. The number of child actors who have grown up, or should I say failed to grow up, who have died from either suicide, drug overdose, who have led a life in prison, there are too many to name. So Shirley Temple is the obvious exception to the rule and not the sort of like gold standard uh, or like the more commonplace um, you know, like example of what it is for a child to be an actor and then grow up and have like a fruitful career in something else. Also like a few other things I'd say are that the child, like, yes, there are examples of, of uh, actors and actresses who began as children who went on to have successful careers. But often what you'll find is that when they themselves have children, they'll steer them away from acting, at least until they're of an age where they're able to make the decision for themselves about whether they should be acting or not. Why is that? Two reasons. One is these people know better than anyone else what it is to be a child actor. And the other is the obvious but often unspoken point, which is that children don't fully understand what they are doing or what they are becoming when what sort of life they're about to lead when they become actors or when their parents ask them to become actors. And I say I would say that this holds true for 
children as young as the twin babies on the set of a soap opera all the way up to at least like 12 to 14 to maybe 16 year old children who don't understand the full consequences of what it is to be in front of the camera or what it is to even be part of the Hollywood system. I'd invite our listeners to watch the Hollywood complex. If they want to look into like the uh, horrible, um, like sort of subculture of child acting and the, and the system that preys on children for money and, um, and basically like offers false hope and promises to people. So from the whole spectrum of like the worst case scenario, the least successful child actors all the way to the most successful, the outcomes seem to be, Terrible. What do we get out of this? Ultimately, we get, yes, like verisimilitude when it comes to uh, younger people being played on on TV and film. Is that worth the trauma that we're putting these people through? I submit absolutely not. Okay, disappointing uh, monologue from Dave with the topic. There was nothing there. I mean, he basically tried to attack me for using anecdote, and then he himself just used anecdote. We just, we don't have a lot of data on this. Sure, there are cases of child actors who are troubled. There are many, many cases of child actors who have gone on to success. I was recently watching the Jodie Foster masterclass, herself a former child actor, talking about directing child actors, which she's done uh, in Little Man Tate, for instance, and other works. And she was talking about how the value of children, because they have such an interesting uh, connection to play and pretend and reality, often bring something really authentic to the set. And she herself, a former child star, who had a turbulent life, certainly, uh, but nonetheless, is continuing that tradition, passing it on to child actors, not because she's... uh, but because she sees the value and the uh, and the power of the authenticity of those performances, so I think that is equally uh, as valid as anything that Dave sort of danced around. Dave also mentioned that he summoned the image of twin babies, which of course made me think of the Olsen twins, who started on Full House and now are very productive members of society. Their sister, a t- talented actor, uh, another gr- he walked himself into another example of success and achievement that came from these kids entertaining us adorably as babies and now helping us in their uh, adulthood as fashion designers and socialites. So I stand by my point. I don't think anything was really refuted. Dave sort of danced around a few issues but didn't really get anywhere. He, he, he brought us a number of unchallenged assumptions that acting is like trauma, but we just don't see that. I mean, there are lots of parents who bring their children into acting. The, the famous acting families, the Barrymores come to mind uh, as a family where the, uh, acting as a child is almost a tradition so i think that dave uh failed to defeat my strong pro case and uh i I, I mean it's i don't understand why this has become so personal for you and why you insist on using phrases like i walked myself into another mistake or something like this and it seems to have gotten a little weird but i would offer this if one of your if one of your paragons of virtue as a child actor are are twins who you say in your own words are are socialites and that that is what they're contributing to society i would suggest that perhaps you're um that that there aren't as many examples of like child actors done well as you want to believe also like in the case of drew barrymore she herself has gone firmly on the record saying that because she was thrust in the spotlight at such a young age it contributed to her drug and alcohol use at a 
horribly young age, a preteen age, and that this probably wouldn't have happened if she wasn't a child actor. How could you possibly use the Barrymores just because they have like a tradition in their family of child acting? Doesn't mean that it's good. It's such a clear evidence of the fact that they shouldn't be child actors. As far as Jodie Foster goes, well, what does it say that like one of the only directors who seems capable of dealing with child actors in like a good way is someone who was a child actor themselves? It suggests to me that this is an abnormal situation. It suggests to me that like we need proper coaching of dealing with child actors, which to my knowledge, there's no DGA training about how actors are for that matter, crew members, or for that matter, even other actors are meant to deal with child actors on set. And if, if anything, this to me is exposed like a real glaring problem within the Hollywood community, which is that like people aren't are simply aren't sensitive enough to the mindset that children are bringing to the set. So while someone like Jodie Foster, who may have been a child actor herself, may be able to recognize those things, the flip side is also true, which is that 99% of people in the Hollywood community were not child actors, and they're not going to understand what that child is going through. I'm also reminded of like the act, like you say, you know, like they bring this intense set of like play and make believe to the set and i'm reminded of the actress who played panette in the french movie panette and she was um, lauded for her performance when she i believe was only like three or four years old for people who haven't seen it she plays a young girl whose mom dies in a car accident it's a really good movie there's an article about her recently because she's now grown up and she's like tormented by the fact that she was a better actress when she was three than she is now and she watches panette now and she wonders how can i get back to a place where i wasn't even aware that what i was doing was acting so even this is another example of like the best case scenario of someone who literally like was on the award circuit for their performance as an impossibly young person who now looks back on their youth and goes like, how can I recreate this in some way? And this is someone who, by the way, did what I would consider to be the right thing and took like years away from acting and tried to educate themselves and try to train themselves in the, I believe, a more classical version of acting. And now she like lives in basically this prison. I don't understand what, what, what is the gain? What is the benefit? Like we can use you know, 19, 21 year old people to play 12 year olds and stretch the imagination a little bit. And it's not going to really hurt the reality level of the programs that much. This, it's like, the more we talk about this, the more I'm convinced that like, we don't have the proper structures in place to help these children. Dave is absolutely right. We can, we can agree, Dave, that there should be more DGA training for how to deal with child actors. I absolutely think that would be valuable. More support for these actors across Hollywood would be very valuable. But again, your examples, I feel like, are doing as much to prove my case as anything. I mean, this actress herself is watching, the Panette actress, watching herself as a three-year-old being struck with wonder to the point of paralysis at how good she was as a kid. How are we going to deny the world those beautiful performances? You brought up this great movie that you love that's brought to life by this child. And you, we've talked earlier about trauma, the, the trauma of children you know, acting. You sort of just assume that it is traumatizing. But what about the trauma of artistic? children and actor-type children who are not given the opportunity to perform and express that side of themselves. I think that would be a true, uh, truly dark situation to face in the world Dave proposes where children are that's simply banned not trauma. from acting I mean, in film and movies. But that's not trauma. I mean, you know that that's not trauma. That's not what trauma is. Trauma isn't like not being able to do something that you like on a professional level. I like, think obviously it would I'm have not a, advocating, a suffering I'm not and distorting that, like, effects equivalent to trauma. Yes. 
but you certainly must understand that I'm not saying we should like outlaw school plays. Oh, okay. But should they be, are they allowed to be filmed? Yeah. But and then could course, I sell a like, copy of the film or is that, where, where's the limit here, Dave? Um, I think that's a, that's like an important question and I don't think that's necessarily the topic, but I do think like you're certainly onto something that like, they're like, I'm glad that you're now open to setting limits in between like, yes, that the line should be drawn somewhere in between, let's say like living room performances that two sisters decide to put on and like a, 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 a six-year-old actor being like groomed by some weirdo in Hollywood to star on a Disney show. Imagine so a I, child being sent so to jail right. for like, filming the their performance with their, with their six-year-old friends. That's the well, dark no world is, Dave is leading us towards. No one's even... I think no we're ready for closing statement. Okay. Oh, uh, my closing done. statement is... <laughs> No, well, I think we're basically done. But no one is was ever picturing that if someone goes to jail for filming their child <laughs> putting, like, pretending to be Winnie the Pooh in their. I think kids love performing. Adults and children love watching kids perform. And of course, there's been some harm done. It, it can be dangerous for anyone to be a celebrity. But uh, I think there's no reason to ban kids from performing in TV and movies. That's my closing statement. I think I've said my piece. I really enjoyed that debate. Oh, good. Maybe more than I thought I would. And Amazing. here's what I, I want to say about it. Experience. You didn't have a good time. I hated it. See, you, oh, interesting. I love that. I thought Dave had a chance to really, like, get into the flow there. Yeah, and I was I impressed oh. by his second half performance mm. i thought it was really really quite good um i the the nagging feeling i have is that he didn't necessarily tilt the scales in terms of like we should not have children in tv shows yeah. but i think he maybe delivered a really strong and perhaps better performance mm. if that makes sense but i think healy with Again, with few words in this case, Healy was able to um, sort of technically win the debate. <laughs> so that's kind of where I land here. So if you keep wow. score at home, not mark this a technical win for Steve, which is worth .75 of one point. Now, come on. A win is a win. It's a TKO. But do make a note that you didn't enjoy it, I would say. <laughs> well, you, I, I think this was a case there. where we, we tinkered with the topic and we messed up because kids shouldn't be allowed to appear in TV and movies. That is a little juicier, starts hotter, I think, rather than defending the thrust there. Oh, so interesting. Yeah. We maybe, maybe mm -hmm. made an error there. Hey, you know, that's what this is. This is a forum for experimentation. Uh, and and learning. Uh, for vocalization of thought and learning from one another, really. I've enjoyed, the, truth. I've enjoyed the episode tremendously. I need a nap. Ooh. What a great time to hang out with you fellas. Uh, always. If only we were in person. Debates. Uh, to dudes, thanks for listening. Check out our store, buy some merch. It's the, really the only way to support us is to buy a t-shirt or a mug, and you get to help yourself by <laughs> buying a t-shirt and a, by having a t-shirt and a mug. So go for it, guys. Thanks for joining us, and um, you know we'll see you when we see you. I hope it's sooner than later. Let's put Amen. it that way. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Great Debates. 
The Great Debates is produced by Mark Caricello. The theme song was composed by Christopher Knight. The debaters are Steve Healy and Dave King, and the podcast is moderated by Dan Medina. <laughs>